We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 277 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and with me today is Emil Evanesian. Emil, hello to you and your new microphone, but unfortunately today we continue to say goodbye to a legend. Yeah, I was just going to say, so, you know, what's new? Just not a whole lot going on, right? Um, no, certainly not. I, I, I mean, yes, you do have a new mic, so that is the good news, but... I do. Yes. Today, we say goodbye with a wave to Messi as he said hello to the, the Paris crowd. So just to let everyone know what we're going to be discussing today... Yep. We do. It's not a final nail in the coffin. As I said, we're going to continue to talk about Messi all season long. He's going to dominate the narrative of what this team is. But I titled this episode A New Era because that's what this is. It's the first day we saw the first match in the post-Messi era. The Femini we're going to talk about as well. So it's a bit of Messi, the final goodbye. It's the Femini. And then we're going to talk a bit about the 3-0 win over Juve in the game pair trophy. So that's what we have on the docket today. But Emil, we heard from Kevin Williams Last week, uh, late in the week, as we kind of didn't know where everything was, but it was likely that he was leaving. But yes, he is now reluctantly gone to PSG. The press conference, all of that, the emotions. Before I even ask what you're thinking, I should ask how you're feeling. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really difficult to almost sum up. I mean, it's I've written about and kind of spoken about and things like that about, I don't know, just how harrowing and terrifying the, uh, the post-Messi era is. Not even in the sense of... You know, I mean, the squad can be as good as it wants to be, but I mean, just the the notion of this this ever present, irrepressible greatness that is gone. And you know, we all knew just kind of the the way the way time works, and kind of sports is a horrible kind of reminder from time to time of you know of, of mortality and the passage of time and everything like that. So we knew one day there was going to be sort of the first day of the rest of Barca's life without Messi. I mean, it's gutting. I mean, just, you know, it's, and I think it's just kind of the, the way that it happened. And I don't even necessarily mean the press conference, which was, they did, I guess, what they could, you know, what they could put together in a span of a couple of days and kind of given all the restrictions and everything else. But I mean, just the the notion that we went from so much kind of the public messaging was, yay, he's coming back or we're going to figure something out. And, you know, the, we've got the agreements in place. Now we just need to dot some eyes, cross some T's and don't worry, Leo's back to all of a sudden that that rug is kind of pulled out from under you. I mean, I think to be blindsided like that, or not even blindsided, but sort of that, that whiplash is, is especially brutal. And I mean, I think the, the fact that 
I mean, this didn't happen sort of on anybody's desired terms. And, you know, Messi's last home game was a meaningless 2-1 home defeat to Celta Vigo. And it just, the the whole thing kind of ended kind of with this sad squib. You know, I mean, it's just kind of the yeah. sad trombone of an ending. And I don't know, I mean, it just kind of, it's still, you know, I mean, I know it, it very much feels real. And yet at the same time, it just feels kind of like this, I don't know. It's it's still very disorienting. Just the fact that all of this happened sort of as quickly and as, I don't even know, as unpredictably as it did. And, you know, it was kind of a ton of bricks. It's devastating. I mean, it's just, it's it's absolutely gutting. Yeah, and I think it's important to recognize what we're feeling and understand the emotion of it and understand that it might just be football. It might just be a game, but some of us have invested. I mean, I speak for myself, as you all know, with the content I produce, that we invest so much time, we invest so much effort. And over the course of 17 years, the name that has been said in my house more than any other, except for my wife, it is my wife's name and then Messi's name in my house for the last 17 years. Those are the two names that have been spoken the most. And it's because Barca is yeah, such it's probably a not dramatically different around here. <laughs> right. Barca is such a big part of my life. And he was such a big part of my life. So it, it certainly is not necessarily that he's gone because football and it is inevitability, not even that it sounds so trite and like I'm exaggerating. It feels like we, a loved one has passed or that you've lost a, maybe not a family member, not a person, but maybe a pet, you know, it feels more like because pets they're they're They live less than we do They They die and yeah. they, eventually they go away and it's sad and it hurts. And depending on how they go is how traumatic it can be. And that's where the whiplash comes in, where we knew that eventually he's 34 years old. By the time is undefeated, mm-hmm. we talked about it. We can talk about the structural issues that having Messi in Barcelona have had for a long time. And the fact that that sporting project really never came to fruition because Messi papered over all those cracks all those years. So the, the, this ultimate, or we'll say the utilitarian good that losing Messi at this point could bear fruit, certainly in the future, but we're going to get into why it might not, but it, it going to bear future. But you're right. At, at the moment, we're mourning the whiplash that we felt in, in the same way that I, I've spoken about in the past. And I know it's silly to complain, but I mean, to compare, but Emotionally, so I lost my father at a young age. And when he passed, he's been gone for a long time. It's over a decade. And there's this sadness, there's this morose that comes to losing a loved one. But mm-hmm. he died in a very sudden way. And it was something that was kind of there up in front. And so in a matter of eight hours, my life would went from this is my life, this is what I'm used to, to everything. Something entirely different. Yeah, correct. Everything has changed. And is my future potentially not as good as it was going to be? Has my life irrevocably changed for the worse. You know, there's no guarantee that life is always better. And I know I'm getting very uh, in the abstract here, but I'm trying to diagnose the the emotions that we're feeling. And, And so with Messi, I think you're absolutely right. It comes down to not the fact that he is gone, not even, not even the fact that he's a PSG. We're frustrated that he is PSG, but he's also 34 years old. And there was an inkling that Barca weren't going to win the Champions League this year. PSG have been wanting to do that for a long time. But I think why we're angry and where that comes now, the anger part of it, as we kind of move past, you know, feeling sad about Messi, enjoying the legend. And I said, as time goes on, I'm excited to hopefully uh, whenever he he returns and I put quotes around that returns as either a player or whatever in two, three years time, or if he were to ever come back as a club ambassador or whatever it may be, I'm excited to celebrate his legacy and we will do that forever. He scored 672 goals for FC Barcelona. And I watched the entire hour long uh, compilation of that. I wasted, it wasn't even a waste of time. It was an hour long and it was enjoyable. And I just enjoyed it remembering where I was, who I was with in all those different iterations of those goals 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of those sort of you watch them for. I mean, I've watched the, and I know the 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 six hundred and six hundred seventy four is the that's the updated one. But I know every sort of there would always be on YouTube. There was the whatever the running total was. There would be the near hour long or forty five minutes or whatever it was. I have watched that just late night bored. I don't feel like going to bed yet, but I don't really feel like kind of putting on a movie or a TV show, but I just want something that is simultaneously entertaining and is going to make me feel good. I have watched the every single Leo Messi goal video. I mean, several times and just it, it hits you. Like you remember the jolts and that same feeling of disbelief when some of those things would happen because just even in the moment, it was, it was inconceivable that these things would happen. And I had a, you know, I was going to joke with you that, you know, last year I wrote, I think probably close to like 25,000 words on my own site about Messi's hat tricks for Barcelona. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, I guess for all of his career, he has 54. I think, I think it breaks down to like, I think it's like 48 and six or something like that. But I was going to say that you and I just almost could do for the next year, every time I'm on this podcast, we could just discuss one of his hat tricks and yeah. we'd only have to fill like a couple of episodes right. with anything not related to that. And just, it's been so all encompassing. And so, I mean, it was just so much greatness that filled like that whole world. You know what I mean? And it just, and the it kind of in thinking about it and kind of in my own kind of sports fandom, the parallel that I came up with. So when I was about, you know, I guess 11 years old uh, was when Magic Johnson announced that he had HIV and suddenly in, you know, out of nowhere on the eve of the new season announced that he had to retire from the NBA. And it was, and you know, that one was different because at that time, you know, it was sort of we thought that he was just going to also die in the next couple of years. Right. The and fear and the panic of AIDS, especially in the United States at that time, shouldn't be underestimated. Of course, it changed the entire perception of what that disease meant for a certain yes. population. Yeah. yeah. But at that time, we knew so little. But also just the the sheer kind of the, the Laker fan in you was this guy who has been the the engine, the face, the energy, the heart and soul of the most glorious era of this team is suddenly gone and and there's nothing you can do about it and the, like there's this finality it's not rumors it's not innuendo it's just no this dude's having a press conference and telling us goodbye mm -hmm. and in both cases it's just like you feel you feel numb watching it like you almost don't know what to do like you you want to demand a recount you know i mean you just you feel like there has to be some sort of like if it was a tv show there would be some lawyer would burst into the room with some document or you know they would find half a billion in cash buried somewhere underneath the camp now and they could just you know make it all okay but uh no alas that is <laughs> that is not yeah. the reality we occupy and um yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I mean, like the, the, the greatest, I mean, I guess the great, you know, of course, be sad that it, be sad that it's over, but damn, be really happy that it happened, yeah. you know, and just kind of, you got to feel all that. You got to see all that. And it was sort of, it, it felt good when it was happening. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, I mean, yeah, Kool-Aid Kool are, are certainly lucky that they had the greatest player of all time in their club for so long. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why the rest of every fan base is like, hey, stop crying. You had Messi for 17 years. Who's our <laughs> yeah. best player, right? I mean, how many, how many <laughs> times can you go around and look and say, oh, in the same way that we're celebrating Messi, 
Real Betis is going to celebrate Joaquin. And Joaquin, yeah. that didn't even play for them for that much longer. He had a stint at Valencia and he came up differently. So Joaquin was mm-hmm. not even all Real Betis all the time. And Nessie had yeah. always been Barcelona. That was it. So yes, it's a shock to see him certainly in another jersey. The PSG part, I think, is where I, I lead in the next, next part because, yes, emotionally, eventually, and I can tell you, I promise, with Hurt, mm-hmm. it does it does get you get a new normal that life kind of changes and you do move on with your life. You'll again, always remember the good times, but you'll, you'll move on with your life. That's true. And so we're a few days, I think away or weeks, even from moving on from Messi, there will be some Kool-Aids who jump ship. Sure. But yeah, I mean, forget them. That's kind of, that's kind of what the attitude needs to be. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But what that leaves behind, though, yes, with Messi leaving, it's not a vacuum even. Yes, this year it's a sporting project. And if you run down the contracts, potentially it's the next two to three to five years that there is going to be a messy size hole because Mm -hmm. he was going to pape over the cracks that Barca still would have dealt with because it's going to take three to five years to cut off certain contracts that uh, we'll say are are, are less unfavorable. But where the club is at the moment, PK said it about how they are heartbroken, that they are shell-shocked. The club itself feels broken at the time. Because it's not just about Messi, it's about the state of the club and as to why Messi was gone. And I understand the frustration of Laporta. And I think the way that Laporta uh, is deserving criticism at the moment is that lack of transparency in registering Messi. And of course, that whiplash, I think people are getting on him that that obviously if he had been more open with socios, been more open even with Messi, the fact that it's not even that he lied to say us. It's that if if something changed and we know the CBC deal changed the calculation that there was no transparency for Messi because he was in just the same amount of whiplash as we are. So people, I think, are questioning as to what did Laporta know? How much did he know? How much did he understand? Isn't it his job to understand? You know, and, and I think back to other moments in the club's recent history where the president has made decisions that the socios probably would have voted down, but it also, in the moment, it felt terrible. But then after the fact, it led to positive consequences. And we we go back to even the treble that I know people say yeah. after the treble, here's what happened. Actually, I want to go before that because if Roselle, that being Senator Roselle, lets yeah. the General Assembly vote on Qatar on the front of the shirt, 
there is no Neymar. Those things yes. correlate financially perfectly together. That Qatar Foundation is put on the front of the shirt. And then mm-hmm. within, what was it, three years, now Neymar is, they can afford Neymar. Now, that's not yeah. even getting into the shady business of the Neymar deal. That is the thing where there's no positive, there's no spin on the way that Brazil conducted that business. But what I'm saying is the negative Qatar on the front of the shirt, selling the soul of the club to win a treble, right? It's that that is the, the calculation that you have to take yeah. the chance to win. And are, as a Kool-Aid, you enjoyed the trouble, but there's almost this understanding that the trouble doesn't happen if a bad decision wasn't made prior to that, that just cut off a little piece of Mescalon Club, that bit off just a little bit of the integrity that the club's supposed to have. And so that leads into the, the second part of this is why would the port to do this? And I, I think the, the reality is, is frustrating and dark because you're getting no help from the outside, that Barcelona, obviously uh, Bartomeu and his board got Barcelona in this financial mess. So there is no hero to the story. Barcelona, uh, Barcelona winds up being its own villain that, again, the rest of the, the world is not feeling sorry for Barcelona because they put themselves in this mess. That said, I don't think it's the soul of Barcelona that is for sale in this. It is the soul of football. This yes. all started. This all went off the rails when Neymar was bought by PSG because he, they didn't have to worry about. I mean, it was 220 million euro release clause was incomprehensible up to that point. And then it broke the market. It broke football. And the Super League frustration uh, situation is frustrating. And the reaction to the Super League, especially related to Barca and Real Madrid, made sense when it happened. Is that, yes, Super League is basically going to create a private club that's going to shut off everybody else. It's going to make it elite and everybody else. The the problem, though, is is that as Kool-Aid's, obviously, we know what's happening with the Super League, that the Super League is the reaction and why Real Madrid and Barca are steadfast to it. It's the reaction to the dominance that is coming financially for the Premier League and PSG. So in the heyday of Messi and Ronaldo in the Liga, that came down to the marketability of those stars, but those stars we knew would eventually leave and retire and where we live the Liga be then. But now those money giants... Neymar was supposed to be here to to sort of pick up that mantle. Sure. And And, and, and and for the Premier League though and PSG now, those money giants for which Barca and Real Madrid used to be a part of, they will no longer be in that exclusive club unless the Super League happens. So I I think for Kool-Aid, yeah, it's... What is, what is winning worth? What is the soul of the club worth? And uh, it's, not a, it's, it's a little bit of a defense of Barcelona, that it's not even about joining the Super League. The Super League is still, in its iteration, a bad idea to create an elite. Uh, mm-hmm. But the problem is, football is so down the road as far as the soul of football being sold to petrol clubs and, and big money contracts yeah. that you just have the Premier League and PSG. And so Kool-Aid's are going to have to get used to, if you want to keep our soul, if you want to not be in the Super League, then you have to be content with not being in that elite with the Premier League and the PSG. And that's something I'm kind of having to come to terms with. That's something I'm kind of having to come to reckon with. Yes, talent might happen and flukes happen. Mm-hmm. Ajax made the semifinals of the Champions League. Monaco made the semifinals of the Champions League. But you're going to have to have a ton of luck for Barcelona to be able to do that. And the Liga, I mean, uh, this is what I'm going to give you, Emil, is that La Liga and Tabas and, I mean, how could this have been handled better? I mean, a million times better by them as well, as far as having last season not putting on those restrictions and then lifting, yeah. I mean, uh, and then lifting the salary limitations this year. I mean, the, the compromise was certainly on the table and they refused because of what it could have meant for Tebas's version of the Liga. So I think there's, yeah, like, so there's a couple of things. I mean, to to address what you were talking about, sort of the the purchase of Neymar and, I mean, I guess the, the gigantic money infiltrated football with Abramovich and Chelsea, but it was really kind of the, Qatar sponsorship and the subsequent Neymar deal were sort of the the direct knock-ons of the the Man City takeover and you know when they bought you know they started with Robinho and then they just started throwing money around and 
they were essentially in on every big player and they would talk the big game about, you know, we're going to get Kaká, we're going to get Messi, we're going to get this. And we, and then it was around that time. I mean, it was, I think it was more or less around that time that PSG complete, uh, you know, uh, Kalafi completed his takeover of, of PSG. Yeah. And I mean, that was kind of, we didn't know the extent to which they were going to, you know, kind of flood the game with cash, but we knew that these guys had, you know, effectively endless pockets. The purchase of Neymar by PSG was, I think, one of the, I mean, it's still, I guess, probably the boldest and sort of most brazen flexing of that muscle. And the problem with the league, the problem with, and I think it goes kind of hand in hand with Laporta and the club and Tebas and the league a little bit. The problem for how Laporta handled everything was, I mean, we're we're forever going to ask, what did you what did you know and when did you know it? And why were you beating this drum of everything's okay? Like, why were you hanging the mission accomplished banner when you knew if Messi played for free, which he, you know, just even by by law was not allowed to do. But even if somehow you could kind of massage it where Messi would play for nothing on the books this year, you still would have had to, you know, shed over a hundred million in, in salary. So you knew that last week, this was not conceivable. I mean, unless you'd found someone who's willing to take Griezmann, Coutinho, Titi, Pjanic, and, you know, and Messi was willing to take his. So, I mean, what did you know? And, you know, when did you know it? Because, Anybody who was kind of looking at this very coldly and soberly had to know that for all the talk of Barca have to shed all this payroll, some players have to go. You and I have said it. I've heard it on podcasts and television and read it in every article. There was always some version of, well, Barca are going to have to make some difficult decisions. There are some difficult decisions coming at Barca. At no point were any of those decisions made. Now, I understand, too, that it, it takes two to tango. You need someone to, to take those other players and, and take their wages and, and everything else. But the fact that for all of these months, the four months since Laporta has been president, effectively no progress was made in shedding enough payroll to actually be able to register the new players that you're bringing in. And we then, don't even know if they know, can be registered yet. That's right. actually part of the problem where if we are to be believed yeah. that Messi's Messi's wages put that percentage at 110% of the wage yeah. bill and you need it to be down to 70. And even yes. without Messi, even without Messi. So I know the idea of him playing for free and all that had been thrown out there, yeah. but even with him playing for free, quote unquote, they still would have been at 95%. So they still wouldn't have been able to register Messi because they're still yeah. at 95%. So Memphis, something still has to change. We could do Memphis and Eric Garcia right. and, and Aguero so and Emerson to all be registered. Which, I mean, unless, unless something is changing, that's my understanding. So where my anger kind of also comes in is, okay, so you knew what had to, you know, you're the president of the club. You, you can see the books and you know what has to be done. And so at this point, we've still done effectively none of it. And yet hilariously, Barcelona are still kind of like shortlisted as team, as one of the clubs interested in various transfer rumors, which every time I see it, absolutely just it's kind of like half laughter and half sort of just tears of yeah, but like, I mean, you, you know that's you, know you know that's being put out by those players agents to boost oh. just it's I, name cachet that it's just there's still a belief of the name cachet of barcelona 
Oh, I know. But at this point, like, you know, the, the story is so prevalent at this point, they might as well just say that Santa Claus is coming in. Santa Claus has shown an interest, you know, <laughs> and like the Easter bunny is, is sniffing around, you know, but, um, but beyond that. So, okay. So we have all of that. So I think there was, there was the lack of transparency. And I think, I think there was kind of these sobering facts that were known inside. And if we're being honest, like we knew, because all we talked about was this, you know, we need to, we need to clear the decks. We need to clear the decks. And nothing was nothing meaningful had happened. So, you know, there was that. I think there was a sense too that for the good of the league, that Tebas was going to let Barca and Laporta kind of twist in the wind a little bit, sort of, you know, take the take the PR hits and kind of have to deal with the sort of eat some crow and deal with the shame that came along with sort of, you know, do you guys see the bad state you're in and kind of like public admonishment and things like that. But I think there was a sense that for the good of the league or for something that Tebas would come in at the 11th hour and say, okay, cool. Look, we're going to let you do Messi. Like this isn't just, you can't do this for any other players. Even maybe you can't even register your other new guys. Right. But because this is Messi, this is Barca and what the whole relationship and what the whole thing means we're going to give you a dispensation. So it kind of smacks of that. And that never came. And at every turn, Tebas was explicitly stating that that was not going to come. And so, I mean, I, mean, I, know, I know he says that, but that's the tough thing there. I, I know Barcelona would be the bad guy in that calculus. I know that Tebas is supposed to hold the line on that. And he wouldn't be doing his due diligence to the rest of the right. clubs in the Liga if he had conceded to Barcelona in that way. But I, I think the reverse of that is we talked about it. I, I mean, I don't know how important the ESPN contract here in North America is to La Liga, but it has to be important. I mean, I look, you look at the books and financially about what it meant for League 1 and having being on B in sports here. It depends on where they are. Then even in the UK, seeing that it's not on Sky Sports right now. And so you can barely find it in the English speaking world. And this is me saying as a privileged speaker of English, that not being able to find that league readily in part of the English speaking world is not good for the global brand. And if you're a global football club, not having your your stars, and by that I mean stars, I mean Griezmann and I mean, whoever else is floating about and Kareem Benzema, for goodness sake, that, you know, Kevin yeah. like, mocked last week. But yeah, so if if you're not even able to market the stars you currently do have because you're not getting everywhere you need to in the English-speaking world, and then on ESPN in the United States, you finally have it in a place and no disrespect to be in sports, but you have, finally have it in a place where everybody has access to it because... Yeah, everyone's going to be able to watch it. You, you, don't, right. have to, you don't have to get a new streaming service. You don't have to find a new... No, you know, they're, get they're a on new ABC. They're on a major network yes. and... Now you have now the challenge comes of getting actual eyes on a product that now you have no marketable stars left. And it's yeah. it's so that was the calculus that Tabas had to make. That I mean, would we prefer for Barca to be the bad guy in that equation as long as Messi was stuck around? I think Kool-Aid would have forgot about it and said, Hey, we love the club. I've been fine with it. Guys, yeah. but the bad guys here in this equation. Because it feels like the bad guys in Bartomeu were voted out, right? So now it's supposed yeah. to be Bartomeu. I mean, who's left, right? Kool-Aid's are left with who we are and who and who we are as yeah. socios and other fans of the club. And, you know, I, I want to pivot here, Emil, as we're about halfway through the show to talking about one of the very great positive and, signs. And Dan, if I can, if I can actually, so there was one thing that yeah. you were talking about kind of the, and I just want to kind of put a little bow on this. I was thinking about this as you were talking about the sort of contrasting the, the Premier League and PSG and then sort of everyone else. And kind of the, the largest of the rest is, you know, what Barca, Real Madrid, Juventus, Bayern Munich and 
maybe you can say like Roma or, you know, like Dortmund or something like that, but you essentially have maybe another six or eight clubs. And I mean, I do think that, I mean, Bayern Munich is the, the model that has to be adhered to now. I mean, unless, yeah, I don't know why that didn't kind of enter into any of the, the strategic thinking, because I mean, unless, you know, unless Barca is going to, you know, bring in a half a trillionaire, you know, state sponsored owner, that's the way to kind of be good and be, be sustainable. And so, I mean, I think that's where we go from here is kind of study and understand. And I understand, you know, Byron kind of dominates both financially and in most years on the pitch, they, they dominate the Bundesliga in a way that Barca have to share more, you know, it's not like Barca just rules the roost because we still have to worry about Real Madrid and Atletico, but I mean, I think that that has to be the model because that is actually a model of sustainability. And, you know, because you're not going to play in a league, you know, in, in a financial league where, you know, hundreds of millions. I mean, Barca were spending hundreds of millions on players as though it wasn't a thing. I mean, it was almost like the, you know, it's like if you're if you're younger and you start hanging out with a group of friends who are, you know, much more moneyed and, you know, you start going out with with people who just, you know, whether they come from money or make a lot of money and they start spending loads and loads of cash and you want to hang out and you start going to the same clubs and you start, you know, going to the same places. And all of a sudden you realize that you've been throwing around kind of hundreds or thousands of dollars in a way that, you know, simply isn't sustainable for you. You know I mean? That's kind of the thing that happened here. And I mean, I know it's not the same Emil, but when I was in college, Mm -hmm. I remember we were going, we just went out to a restaurant or whatever mm-hmm. uh, with some of my friends and I wound up taking home another guy's leftovers because he had barely eaten it. And I took mm-hmm. home his leftovers and I was like, and I did have a small where I was like, if I'm taking home his leftovers, there's, he doesn't necessarily care about the food that he ordered. But for me, I'm like, oh, I've got now dinner for, and lunch for the next two days based on someone else's plate. And I'm like, maybe this is the wrong people to be going out with for, you know, three, four nights a week. This wasn't the club. We're just like going to, you know, a restaurant or whatever. And I'm like, they seem to really like the finer things and they're 19, 20 years old. And I don't know about, you know, maybe I can afford it someday, but (laughs) not today, not today. Right. And so I think that's kind of what happened is sort of Barca got, you know, we're Barca and we're one of the biggest clubs in the world. We're the most desirable club in the world. But they started kind of buying players the way that a PSG or a, or a Man City would do. And I mean, I think that is, I mean, the, the brakes have been slammed on that. But I just think as a, as a philosophy, that has to kind of be almost struck and just kind of, yeah. you know, erased. And, and I, you know, the, the Bayern Munich model, I think, is the... I mean, that's that's the aspirational model. And hopefully it's it's one that, that's replicable. But yeah, yeah I mean, I think the prestige, the prestige is what matters here, that Bayern Munich can latch on to all the free agents and all the other talent mm-hmm. in Germany because playing for Bayern Munich means something in Germany and yes. playing for Barcelona and Real Madrid no matter where they are financially in the dire straits, that will mean something. It will mean something to play for Real Madrid, who have won more Champions League trophies than any other club in history. Mm -hmm. It will mean something to play for, especially for a forward. It will mean something to follow in the footsteps of Messi and of Brazilian Ronaldo and Rivaldo and Romario and Stoichkov and Ronaldinho and Stoichkov. Yes, and exactly. all can care. Like I mean, not even not Neymar, maybe Neymar, Luis Suarez. You know, just right. like everybody it matters. Yeah, it will matter. That prestige matters. Barcelona is one. Of, I mean, you live there. It is one of the best cities in the entire world. That yes. you're going to get <laughs> players who, in the same way that here in 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 the U.S. that. 
Uh, I can't speak for Miami Marlins of, of, of baseball, but <laughs> yeah. the Miami Heat will always find people who want to live on South Beach. They will always yes. find players. It is always going to be a free agent designation because people want to live in Miami. And with Barcelona, a lot of players want to just live in Barcelona and enjoy. And that's what also makes it hard to get rid of these players. That Do you fault them for getting way overpaid for what they do on the field and getting to live in Barcelona? I continue to say no, that I don't blame them for wanting to live in Barcelona and getting Not paid for, a second. for what they do. Look, if nobody offered me a ton of money to move to Barcelona, <laughs> I did it anyway. <laughs> and yeah. it's, and I'm delighted with the decision and, you know, it's, and it's fantastic. Now, if someone had, now, otherwise, if someone had said like, hey, would you like to come do a job in Barcelona? We're going to pay you like 7 million a year and you just get to be part of the, you don't even have to be the star. You get to just be one of the guys, but you get to be super rich and live in Barcelona. I mean, first of all, that's like the easiest. Yes. And then, but then at some point, if they come to you and they're like, Hey, so would you like to give back some of that money and also not be rich and living in yeah. Barcelona? I think would be like, no, you made your offer. <laughs> Just yeah. like, yeah. Well, yeah, so, I don't want to. We're gonna. I don't do blame those guys at all. We yeah, might do that a little yeah, bit later. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. right now, I do want to pivot and talk mm-hmm. about uh, one of the ways that I think Barcelona, as far as changing their image, should continue to work on, you know, doing the right thing moving forward. Mm-hmm. PR wise, I mean, Messi is yeah. now gone. You can't upset the fan base anymore. That everyone's heartbroken. We're at our darkest hour. So everything moving forward should move in a positive PR direction. And it yes. certainly does start, I think, in continuing to put the Barca Femini front and center. I thought having them be a part as a doubleheader of the Gampere Trophy yes. was certainly a move in the right direction. The Gampere Trophy does matter, uh, not as a trophy, but it matters as an event. It is the event that kicks off. It's like with college basketball, the midnight madness that always happens. It lets you yeah, know. It's when the team gets, it's when yeah. the team gets introduced. Yeah. The new era has begun. And to have Alexia Pute, especially with the speeches she gave, where yeah. it was so interesting, the difference between the two speeches. Sergio Busquets basically said, Messi's gone. We're really sad about it. We're going to try our best. Stick with us. We're going to give it our effort because we still expect to do well. Alexis Boutte has took the mic and said, we will dominate. We will take yes. over. And I just, I love that. There's something about the feminine yes. team that says, I mean, they even, they ate their own coach. There's a new coach in. They won the trouble with a coach. And within a week, they had eaten him and said, no, no. This is not the way we do things here. Even though you're our coach, we're going to take your assistant and hopefully he can lead this ship because we want to do the same thing again. And we don't think that you're the guy who's going to do it properly. So they start the season with a six, nothing win over the Aventus women who, yeah, I mean, I always do this. I always get on my moral high horse, but the, the thing they put on social media, if you didn't want root for the feminine beforehand, the mistake that was made by the Aventus women's PR department, again, on social media, Mm -hmm. the racist picture that they sent out. Not great. And so I was fun. It was fun to see the Barca Femini say, hey, uh, not only do you need to look at yourself on social media, maybe you need to look at yourself with a team because the Italian yeah. champions got dominated six nothing. I just some of the notes from that game, and I know you have your own Emil, Aitana Budmati. I mean I praise Alexa Putea, say she's in the Ballon d'Or conversation, but it's yes. tough because just like with the Warriors with KD and Steph Curry, having Aitana and Alexis in the same midfield is completely unfair. And I feel like they're going to take Ballon d'Or votes again away from each other. Just, I mean, that's how good. I was just going to say that. I think they, I think they, they yeah. kind of cannibalize each other's, not each other's greatness, but they kind of cannibalize the the recognition, the recognition of yeah. one another's right. greatness. Who's more important? I mean, they're both more important. They're both the best midfielder on the field. Yeah, and then they both kind of they each make the game easier 
for one another, which kind of was the thing like with the, with the Kevin Durant, Steph Curry thing was that individually they're both astoundingly great. When you put them together, the, the sum of the products is so phenomenal, but it also comes with, they just mesh so well together and they, they make the game easier for one another. And they almost kind of make the whole process look easy in a way that kind of, they almost, you know, like no one should have any business doing and so it, it becomes easy to kind of take them for granted. And you're just like, oh, well, yeah, that's just them. That's just like, that's just what they do. But no, I mean, that that comes from greatness and really good collaboration and fantastic kind of just a fantastic almost mind meld and skill meld. At the moment, but the Barcelona Femini are the destination where Irene Paredes, who she was playing for PSG, but she yeah. is, is Spanish. She had played for Athletic Bilbao. She, she wanted to come and basically get glory. She wanted to return to Barcelona. She was never at Barcelona, but she wanted to be at Barcelona. Mm-hmm. It was a destination. Obviously, they won the treble. So Irene Paredes, yes, she's Spanish, but she comes and returns to Spain as arguably the best center back in the world. I mean, she scored mm-hmm. a goal. Yes, that was good on her debut. But the one weakness, if you will, the feminine was their back <laughs> line. And she fortifies that in incredible ways. Again, again, bringing in maybe the best center back in the world. The team is only yeah. better. And then I'm just so impressed that the best goal that was scored there was scored by 19-year-old Bruna Villamala who she's yes. going to be contending with Claudio Pina, who came, who comes back from loan at Sevilla, that Claudio mm-hmm. Pina has gotten the number six shirt. So she'll probably be featuring. She'll probably get some starts. She'll rest. She'll yeah. rotate with Jenny Hermoso. And Jana Fernandez getting the number three shirt tells you that the, I think she's what, 18, 19, 20 years old as well. playing. Yeah, she's very young, yeah. Going to be an important part of this squad too. So the fact that they can combine youth with just dominant world-class stars. So, I mean, I, I think uh, Asesada Shwala might leave. That's that's possible, but they defeated six. They defeated Juventus six nothing. Dominated them completely. Two nothing in the first ten minutes. Five nothing in the first thirty minutes, and then really took their foot off the gas. Obviously, yeah, they were in cruise control for. You don't want to embarrass you know, them. much of much of the rest of the game. Yeah, they had no Lucky Martins who. Three years ago when she signed in 2017 had to be the star, right? She had to be the number one feature. She was the person that everyone was like, hey, if Barca have a shot, it's Dulecki Martins. But no Lucky Martins, no Friedrich Rofa, who was playing with Sweden and upset the U.S. at the Olympics, and no Ingrid Egan yet either. Both of those two coming over from Wolfsburg. So you take two of the better players from, we'll say, one of the final four rivals. It's, it's, you know, it's basically Barca and Lyon and Wolfsburg at this moment with Bayern Munich and PSG pushing and Chelsea, yeah. obviously those three also. Yeah. So you basically have, I think at this moment, a six or a yeah, seven. There's like a half dozen. Yeah. Sort of great. Lyon. So Barca, then we, I feel like are going into the next age of women's football, just like Lyon was its own era. And, yeah. you know, we thought that it was going to be all about who did, who did the U S women's national team players, whoever they joined, whether it was Arsenal, whether it was Man United or Man City, yeah. that take that team into the stratosphere, but that's not necessarily true. Just like we saw at the Olympics, U.S. didn't win that, even if they had yep. quote unquote the best team. But the Barca Femini is this next era as women's football that only gets more of a lion's share of appearances or viewership on on global audiences, but can yep. also be one of those clubs at the forefront of this next era. And I think that is where Barca needs to hedge their bet and say, women's football is this still budgeting and new frontier. And as yeah. football is getting deeper in the women's game, especially in Europe, and as that UEFA Women's Champions League becomes just gains more and more prestige because there's more than just Lyon and Wolfsburg who can win it, it, it puts it sets Barca up to be a leader in that space 
And I think it would behoove them to do that at this moment because it's not just men watching football. Yes, demographics say that, but there are millions and millions and millions of women who also watch football in this world. And if I'm Barca, I'm going all in with that commitment. Yeah, I I completely agree. And, you know, you and I have kind of touched on this in the past. And I mean, I think both in terms of it being one, the right thing to do. I mean, just kind of the, from a, I don't know, from, from an equality, like a, just a human equality, human decency, and kind of, you know, for, for younger girls who want to aspire to sports greatness, there's probably, I mean, there, I can imagine there's no, there's no substitute for having women and kind of just dynamic, you know, electrifying female athletes to, to watch and draw inspiration from so that, you know, you don't, you don't, little girls don't have to just watch Neymar and Messi and, you know, kind of draw their, kind of find their love of sport from that. And so, I mean, I think from that, from that perspective, I think it's absolutely the right thing to do. Secondly, I mean, I do think, like you said, women's football is, is growing. I mean, if you want to kind of put it in, in business terms, I mean, I think it's absolutely a, going to be a, you know, a, a growth market for, to put a really, to put kind of a gross businessy term on it, you know, and just, but, but it is, I mean, it's, it's attracting more eyeballs. It's, you know, millions of women watch. I mean, a lot of men watch and men enjoy watching women's football. I mean, it's just more than, more than most sports. I mean, I think the, the, the talent kind of looks the same. Like when you see a great women's football team and a great men's football team, it, it transcends that sense of, if you love the sport, it's very easy to give women's football a chance and fall in love with it. And I do think that's a, that's a thing that's going to happen increasingly. And specifically when it comes to the, to the Barca Femini, I mean, they are spectacular. I mean, they're, they're incredibly accomplished. They're spectacularly talented. And on top of that too, they're just really kind of magnetic and their, their personalities are just so magnetic and just kind of easy to get on board with and, and easy to love. And, you know, I mean, they, they should be front and center right now. I mean, they are, you know, I mean, right now they are the most successful part of FC Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, I mean, they are very clearly, they're having a good time. Like they, they, they give off a vibe of wanting to kind of bring you in. You know what I mean? Like it's, I like to call it ruthless exuberance. Yes. But it, they're having yeah. But they're having fun destroying the opposition and dominating yes. and taking their souls and and they're yes. and they're enjoying it and they're doing it with a smile, which is I I mean yeah, that has a bit of the uh, Guardiola era Barca teams, you know, and they would just they they'd hang a six one on somebody and it was just it felt almost unassuming. It was like they would it's like they would accidentally score a couple of the goals, but you know everyone was just kind of giggling and having a good time and yeah, oh. it just. You get one, you get one, you get one, you get one. Oh, yeah. You haven't gotten one in a minute. So, here, let's, yeah, next one's for you. <laughs> Just, yeah. I, want, I do want to close the show by quickly going over the 3 nothing win. Yeah, yes. we don't have too much time left. So, I think we're going to, obviously, we're going to wind up talking about the new era of the first team. So, we'll talk more about that on the, the second show this week about reviewing the, the game pair with the men. Mm-hmm. But I want to get some of your thoughts here as I go through some of the highlights of that. I, I guess more than anything, I want you to pick one thing that stood out to you from that Gampere, Gampere win, if you can come up with something, whether it was something related to the goals, Memphis or uh, Brothwaite starting potentially, or Griezmann's performance or the counterattacks that Barcelona were, were yeah. giving up that didn't lead to anything or anything. Yeah. I'm, 
I might be jumping the gun, but I think uh, I think I have to put the Mia culpa out there. Uh, when we talked about Memphis coming on board, I was not enthused, not because I didn't think he was physically talented or you know capable of being a good player. But, but I want to defend us. I want to defend both of us because I was with, <laughs> I was with and I said that he, I was uncomfortable at where he would fit alongside Messi. That was yes. what I said. I was like, I don't know where he's going to find that space with Messi in the team. And yes. so I don't, I'm taking less blame. <laughs> you know, I'm, just, I didn't get it right. But yeah, I am getting uh, the issue I thought was going to exist is no longer is a non yeah. now. So I, I don't know about that. No, exactly. I was less than enthused from a from a personality fit standpoint. And, you know, I mean, there's obviously injury risk, but there's injury risk with everyone. So, you know, that that's fine. But I was I was concerned with how he was going to how he was going to fit in the side. And look, we'll see. We'll see how it goes when sort of when the games count and, you know, kind of when there's must win situations and and the tension is ratcheted up. But and I realize he he's never had to play alongside Messi in a Barca shirt. And there's always something to be said for this, but in a way that no other sort of presumptive star coming in. So, I mean, I'm not talking, I'm not talking about, you know, PK or, you know, Busquets or even going further back, you know, Xavi Iniesta, those guys, but in a way that no one in the last seven or eight years, with the exceptions of Neymar and Suarez, those were the only stars who were able to come in and they didn't feel like they were sort of, trying to paint by numbers on how to be a Barca star. They just kind of came in and said, look, I know what I do well. I know I'm good at this. I know what I do. I'm just going to go do my job and I'm going to be a star for Barcelona. And it worked. But because there's been so many other presumptive stars that have come in and you can get the sense that they were just trying to not put a foot wrong or whether it was trying to stay out of Messi's way or whether it was just trying to do too much and kind of, get the fans on board right away with something spectacular or whatever it was. There was always just a sense of kind of guys being stuck in their own heads. Memphis has just kind of hit the ground running in the sense of this dude knows he's really good. I mean, the, the one thing that I loved more than anything, it was just like these, the, the little, like the, the back heel airborne passes that he does. And, you know, he kind of has that, it's that innate sort of functional brilliance that that you kind of need because that's also what the Kempnow crowd wants. I mean, it doesn't have to be flash. It doesn't have to be all sort of like Ronaldinho and Messi and stuff like that, but it's, you know, what is the biggest problem? Why, why was Ernesto Valverde, you know, just why was winning the league year after year, you know, sort of insufficient. It was because there was sort of a, a level of kind of mesmeric quality that was, that was absent for, for the crowd. And I think, I think Memphis has a sense of a little bit of how to kind of do that in a, in a functional way that I frankly was not giving him credit for. I mean, I knew he was good. I, he's at the ground running in a, in a really brilliant way. And I think the team as it sort of stacks up around him is actually very well, very well constructed. So, I mean, I think the, I mean, he, he and uh, Yusuf Demir, the, the, the hookup for the first goal was, was spectacular. And yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about Demir probably a lot in the, in the weeks to come, but he's, he's looked, he has looked phenomenal. I've been talking about now because I think 
Brothway didn't really fit. He didn't really make sense. Mm. Next to Memphis and Griezmann, Messi was able to bring out the best in him because Messi can thread any angle of any pass. Yeah. And I think Messi made Brothwaite look a little better than he even is. Now, without that kind of service from Messi, the Memphis and Griezmann just, they don't build the same way that Messi does. Obviously, they don't hit no. the passes from the same angles. And so I think Brothwaite, yes, he got a goal, but he just looked just not, he just looked less of quality, which is what he is. Yeah. Again, it's not, a, it's not a knock on Brothwaite that he's a professional footballer who should be playing at a first division club. That's not a knock on him, but right. <laughs> a, a bad deal when it was made. And so I just think that Brothwaite, if he isn't sold now and he isn't, I mean, obviously you still want to get the transfer bill down and he's a guy that can score goals for somebody. And with the sheer dearth of number nines in the world where there just aren't a lot of center forward, there just aren't a lot of good center forwards that I think a player like Brothwaite should, he's one of the very, very, very few players that should have some kind of market. So I think they should continue to, to go down that hole. And same thing with Neto, who is the man. I talked about this. I mean, how is, I mean, Martin Brathwaite is, yeah, he's a, he's a first division footballer, you know, in a top five league in Europe. He might not be a, a top three club first division player, but I mean, you can't tell me that there's, you know, there's not a team in the Premier League who fears that, you know, the, uh, yeah. the, the dearth of a few goals might throw them into a relegation battle. I mean, you can't tell me that there's not two or three teams in the Premier League that couldn't use a player like that. Yeah. I, afford I mean, and use, you know? I, or like seven to eight goals for Barca this year, but for your team, he might score 15. And that's right. a calculus that you want to make. Uh, and exactly. also concerns me about the Griezmann point that that is going to be something that I'm really going to think about. I want to rewatch even again uh, to see the Griezmann stuff because to have Memphis come in from day one and just immediately make this his team, make this his attack, I think is worrying for Griezmann. That's kind of what I was, yeah, that's kind of what I was talking about. It's like Griezmann wants to be a Barca star, but you can see he's kind of trying to like, I almost get the sense that he's like, how do I make the, how do I create the moment that wins me this crowd? And Memphis is just like, no, man, I just know what I'm doing. <laughs> I get some free kick goals just like Memphis. But I mean, mm-hmm. that's actually the free kicks was the moment when I had a minute to go. Oh, Messi's gone. Uh, 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 yeah. I, know. Oh, I had that same feeling. <laughs> I think everyone did. But the other thing I want to say about the forward line is that Yusuf Demir, I said it. I don't, I don't know. The people who've been kind of critical of his preseason, sure, it's the, the ignorance of bliss of this 18-year-old new toy. And I think everything he does is great. He had that one moment where he gave up the ball in a square pass. It just, the square mm-hmm. pass wasn't great. He gave up a ball that led to a counterattack. Mm-hmm. But again, so did Griezmann and so did Memphis. So they did the same thing as well. And that counterattack is a worrying sign for Barca. But I think, I mean, Messi, how many times did Messi give away the ball like that a game? I'm not comparing them, but just the spot of the field where he was giving the ball up. That said, I think Kuman is willing to, is what he did with Pedri. It's not about who's at all. It's about that, Kuman is willing to play the players that are playing the best and making an impact and give him the best chance to win. And yeah. from what I've seen from Demir in the preseason, until Fati returns and Debele return and things get a little more complicated or deeper, mm-hmm. I think Yusuf Demir needs to start against Real Sociedad. I, I think I agree. And he should be a starter. I don't have any qualms about that. He creates, uh, especially behind Memphis, they seem to have a good mm-hmm. partnership already, better yeah. than the one between Memphis and Griezmann, better than the one between um, Demir and, and, and Griezmann. Mm-hmm. Brothway yep. being out there too. So I think Demir deserves to start. And whether I think, I think so too. It, I think that changed the calculus on the midfield, but that's easy for me to take Pedri, throw him in and potentially take out Brothwaite and put make that a front three and a four three three. I think that's mm-hmm. more likely to happen with Pedri taking the place of Brothwaite or Pedri's coming in. Uh, well, yeah, if De Young is back as well, it'll be De Young coming in for Roberto. It'll be Pedri coming in for Brothwaite and changing the into a four three three. But I think Kuman yeah. is going to rely on that four three three. It's where I think they've had the most rhythm, the most flow. 
And I know it's just yeah. a few matches, but I think that's their best role forward. As far as cutting out the counterattack, it was a problem last year. It's going to be a problem this year. But as we said, Fati, Dembele, Eric Garcia, Mangetha, they'll all be returning. And this is Barcelona now. So I think Kuman has a lot of different pieces to try to figure out how to alleviate some of the problems. I think a left center back being up to it, being Langley, is just, I just, he's, he's not, he's not what Barcelona needed that position. And then Umpiti is in theory what they needed that position, but he's gone. I mean, the, the booing yeah. was sad to see. It's not just on yeah, him. That's, a lot of people, that, but that is some shameful stuff, man. I mean, I, I hate that he's going to become in a weird way. He's becoming the, the avatar of, He's going to become, I feel like for a lot of fans, the the avatar of Messi's exit. And, you know, kind of, yeah. you know, because because Bartomeu is not around to to whistle at and yell at and scream at. I mean, he's Umtiti, I feel like, is going to become the 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 whipping boy for lack of a for lack of a better word. And just even though it's it's not his fault. I mean, you know, we've talked about it before before he got hurt and you know, before the World Cup in Russia. And I mean, I, I actually wrote this. That was when they needed to renew his contract. And I remember writing, and no one disagreed with me at the time. I was saying that Umtiti is the most important player at Barca not named Messi because he was young, strong, talented, and just had energy and smarts and, you know, the whole thing. I mean, he was, I mean, he and Varane were coming out of that World Cup when France won. They were not only the best center center back pairing in the world, they were essentially being spoken about almost as center backs number one and two in the world. Not just the best together, but arguably the two best on earth. And then these knees started to go. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's lazy. I don't think he doesn't care. You know, I don't think it's any of that stuff. The guy got hurt and he, he was given a, he was given a large contract, but it was a large contract that he had earned at that point. If, and if he's healthy this year, if he's healthy and thinks he's healthy, mm-hmm. how does he not look across the field at training at Ling Lei and say, I'm going to be the left center back. That's what yeah, I, they need. A, your job should be mine. Yeah. So I can take that job. I mean, and I think yeah. Barcelona wants that kind of ruthless confidence in their players. So it's again, yes. it's a bit hypocrisy. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a little bit of a hypocrisy for us to say, Hey, we want our players to accept that they're failures and leave my club, but also we want them to have the confidence to overtake veterans or overtake the players that are ahead of them in, in the pecking order. So, yeah, so how do you choose which of those to do? <laughs> how do you, how do you possibly going to get both? And yeah, it's not even Umtiti. It's you look at the books and it's the contract of Griezmann and the fact that Barcelona were already in great debt. And then they bought Griezmann up top for that transfer. And it was not even necessarily his wages. It's that they bought him with the transfer money. And then on top of his wages, added that to the bill. And it's also mm-hmm. the contract and wages of Coutinho as well. And those players, obviously, they are, they are, as you said, they are avatars for their contract. But the business was the problem, not necessarily yes. players themselves. Uh, and then, I mean, Coutinho getting booed and then uh, putting the ears in. And then to think that Coutinho is now going to be back at Barcelona is mind-bending to me that he will be playing for the club again. But now with Messi gone, they're unable to move him off the book. So you're going to have to get rid of what you can get rid of. And that's why I said Neto with his man-of-the-match performance. I, I know that Neto is going to be kept because of Ter Stegen's injury, but if he, I think there are clubs out there and it all matters who like no club needs an, uh, an auxiliary playmaking player like Coutinho on his wages. No club in the world wants that. 
So that's why all these clubs are having trouble getting rid of their big money, superfluous attackers and whoever it is. Yeah, like they're sort of the random number 10s. Yeah. But a club might look at Neto and say, hey, we need a, force, a first choice goalkeeper. We need a good steady pair of hands. And Neto, <laughs> I think, is worth something. Same thing with Brothwaite. Their, seal, or their floor, what they're going to give you at the club is something that I think clubs need in the way that they don't need Coutinho yeah. or they don't need, uh, obviously, Griezmann at those wages. But yeah, the last thing I want to say here is I'm going to do the Ricky Pooch thing one more time, Emil, please. Let me do it one more time. Let's do it. Let's do it. off the bench in every preseason match. And I think on year number two, Kuman and Pooch have an understanding that he is going to come off the bench for the last 20 to 30 minutes of every match. I will get on Kuman. This is my promise to you as a podcast. Mm. I will get on Kuman if Pooch has not played in multiple games over a stretch of two or three weeks and he's relegated to the bench. But I think that he is the fourth or fifth midfielder this season. There is not a lot of depth. Honestly, there's not that much depth in that midfield, especially if Griezmann is a forward. So I think Pooch is going to come off the bench in almost every match, and he is going to do basically the midfield version of Dembele. He changes a match so much, just the formation that Barca play, the way that Barca are playing, the speed at which they're moving the ball. He, to me, is a closer. He reminds me of, of you know, whether it's the baseball analogy. Of Mar- he's, not, he's not a Mariano Rivera in this situation, <laughs> but I'm not even a Yankee fan. But he is a, you know, for the Mets fans out there, Billy Wagner. He's a guy that's going to come yeah. in, and he is a closer, and he's going to change the look of a game just like Dembele does. He's a wild card. He's going to unbalance things. And I think that is what his best role at Barca might be this season, especially because he's not going to overtake Pedri de Young and Busquets in the starting lineup. That's not right. happen. But yes, I hope he gets an occasional start in rotation, but I also think Roberto will just be the starter in rotation. And that's because they, they want to continue to have that defensive fortitude in the midfield. So I think you're going to see the, the fourth rotation midfielder to be Roberto, and then Pooj is your fifth midfielder. Gabi is still going to spit in there. Gabi might even start some, but Gabi's also going to probably still play with Barca B. And that means yeah. Pooj is still going to be the fifth midfielder. And if he's coming off the bench in every game, I'm happy because I remember... I was upset with how many matches he didn't play in. And last season, I think it came down to hoping he would get into matches and you didn't care about the minutes. And I think this season is going to be how many matches can he get into and can he get to a certain threshold of minutes? Can he get to 2,000 minutes? I'm not sure if he's going to do that. But if he can come and play in 35 matches or 38 matches, then that means he played his role. And if he and the manager are on the same page, then we just have to live with him not starting. And I just, I think I, I'm happy with what he adds to the club. And if he understands and enjoys his role, then he's an important part of the first team. Even if he's not a starter at FC Barcelona, they have so many good young midfielders. It's okay for him to be the backup. Well, and the thing is too, I mean, I, I agree with everything you just said. And on top of that too, I mean, he's still kind of young enough where if he has a, I mean, I think the biggest problem is like, he wants to play. He wants regular game time. He wants regular, regular time on the pitch in, in meaningful games. So if that comes in the form of, like you said, 20 to 30 minutes on a, on a near every game basis, and, and he's actually filling a, a valuable role. You know what I mean? It's um, kind of the analogy that I was thinking of is almost like, try to be Manu Ginobili, who, you know, like he never made a stink about not starting. He just was a superstar off the bench. Like he, he embraced a role, became a superstar within that role, and just rode that the championships yeah. and the Hall of Fame. And still, so, I mean, I th- Henrik Larson. We still praise Henrik Larson. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And the thing is, Ricky Pooch is still very young. And so, yes, if this is your first year of playing essentially every game, but 
you're playing every game off the bench, 30 minutes a game. But if you do that well, and you're contributing to winning, and you're making positive contributions, and and everything is kind of flowing through you properly, like that doesn't mean that this has to be your role forever. It doesn't mean that you will never be a starter. But I think if he can kind of do that role, if Kuman can commit to actually employing him in that role regularly and kind of giving him not just enough minutes, but kind of enough game action on a consistent enough basis to kind of keep him happy and engaged, and he can kind of make the most of those minutes, this can be a springboard season. Because like if we know, if nothing else, we know that Barca is now figuring out what the, like we said, what this, what this new next era is going to look like. Now we have a we have a general idea of like kind of what the what shape the midfield is going to take, but if if he can make a huge positive contribution this season in that type of role, then things change. You know, people get hurt, people leave, and or you're simply just impactful enough and good enough where your coach says, well, no, I think this guy can actually give us 65, 70 minutes a game. I actually think we can translate these twenty five or thirty minutes into sixty five or seventy a game, and all of a sudden you've kind of carved out your, not just carved out a niche, but carved out a significant role for yourself, just, you know, maximizing the opportunity that you're given. But I, I agree. I mean, I, I hope that Kuman gives him the opportunity to maximize. Right. I mean, again, a reminder too, that with Pedri and Gabi and DeYoung uh, floating around and everybody like that, listen, in four years time, if the midfield of Barcelona is Pedri, Gabi and DeYoung, and you have Ricky Pooch coming off the bench. I will remind you that Sadu Keita is another one that just, there were good players that have just come off the bench and been an important part of, if Barcelona is so <laughs> dominant that that's your midfield three and they're winning everything they can at the midfield, they're one of the best midfields in the world. And who's coming off the bench? Again, it's, I have no problem with that. It's just, again, the caveat this season in his fourth season with the first team is that he actually does have to play. And if Kuma agree him completely, then yeah, then it's again on him that he should have left and there should have been an understanding between the two. But the last thing I want to leave people with too, is I know it feels disheartening. I just want to remind everybody that it is a new era, but it's kind of been a new era that I, I don't want to give a compliment to Bartomeu at the end of this, but some of the players that were brought in in the last prior to even that being Fati was groomed properly. And then they gave him that deal. And even though they're losing Iras Moriba, there's still so many midfielders coming in. Credit to all those years ago when somebody brought in Gabi potentially. Credit yeah. to Henry Deal for Las Palmas, getting Eric Garcia to want to come back. I mean, I know he has to prove it, but this team is going to come down to that combination. It's not just Fati being the new savior, but the, mm. it gives me hope the fact that it's no, you don't need a new Messi. Demir is not the new Austrian Messi, but Fati mm. plus Demir plus Pedri plus De Young plus Gabi plus Pooj plus Des plus Mingesa, plus Garcia, plus Araujo, that yeah. can equal something of what is a winning team, right? That I mean, that's a really good, I mean, well, like, you take that and you put in De Young and, you know, just the, whether it's Griezmann or, you know, like, that's a good team. Yeah. And that's okay. I mean, the, that's, that's yeah, considering now and that's who we're going to root for. And so I, I'm not going to say they're going to win trophies, but that's why I'm heartbroken but I also have hope and both of those things can be true. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, there's very much the blueprint of a, of a good winning team there. And not only that, I mean, like there's, there's a lot of talent here. I mean, if we have to be, if we have to be devastated, I mean, we're, we've at least got a, a young, yeah. pretty, you know, potentially very fun team to, to sort of help kind of bring us out of the doldrums a little bit. Well, I mean, I want to leave us on a sad note because I also want to remind people that with all those very, very good young talent, 
The thing we spoke about at the beginning about PSG and the Premier League becoming a diff- just financially a different uh, uh, status as Real Madrid and Barcelona, keeping all those talents is going to be a bit of a challenge. So I want to leave people with that difficult, frustrating potential. But again, that's a two, three years down the road problem that maybe we'll, we'll talk about yeah. then if the podcast is still going on. So for now, I want to thank people for listening to this one, episode 277. That'll wrap it up. We're on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona Pod closed Facebook group, the Barcelona podcast and Patreon. I appreciate in the, as heartbroken as I was, again, the other thing that gave me hope was, especially uh, our new Patreon, Steve, I really want, I appreciate the the fact that people kind of came to my aid and backed me up because I think for me, obviously speaking very candidly, there is a worry. You lose Messi, that means what? You're going to lose listeners, that there's a lot more hate. I got a little bit of hate on the internet as I tend to in bad moments. So great. Thanks for that. Uh, and so the Patreons and people in that closed Facebook group and even people on Twitter have been so supportive of each other, have been supportive of me, supportive of the show. And so I, I just want to finally, uh, for those who are still with us at the end here, I want to give a, a little, not only thank you, but uh, I want to say that I am working on some stuff that I'm almost ready to say that merchandise is very much in the works that I hope <laughs> to have an announcement in a few. Now we're not even months away. I think we're, we're potentially even nice. away. So <laughs> I'm excited about those different things. Also, YouTube is back. I've been doing some different things. People seem to enjoy that. So I appreciate everyone who follows and continue to support. And if you continue to support, uh, I'll, can try to, I'll try to continue to give the best non-messy Barcelona content that I possibly can. <laughs> That's my oath too. And I appreciate Emil and Levon and, and all those people, Kevin, and all those people that have continued to help me do that. And uh, for those who are also calling out for Frances, I am in contact with him. Remember, we're still friends. And he does <laughs> want to return for one of these episodes in the near future. And uh, we're, we're trying to get that on the docket. I, I promise. He's a busy man. So Frances will be returning to, to give you uh, all the things. But for the longtime listeners, Emil, you remember too. People who think Frances is going to give them the, the the answer they want. I think you misremember my good friend Frances and and the ways that he does not cheer you up. He's going to give you the honest truth. And if that's what people want. No, but I think I think this might be a moment where like I think there might be a little bit of misery wanting some company. You know, just I think we want to like commiserate together and just kind of like hear the just hear the hard truths a little bit because yeah, but no, I agree. It's um, but. Yeah, <laughs> no, it won't be a it won't be a cheer up, but I think it'll be a very good kind of yeah, a very good discussion of of what is <laughs> right. So just like for 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 the team without Messi, uh, the Barcelona podcast moving forward is is all about a team. It's all about the people that are helping me. And again, I appreciate all the listeners here. So I did take a little time to get emotional here at the end, but we were emotional all week. I feel so raw. So I want to thank you for listening to the Barcelona podcast. I hope it was as therapeutic for you as it was for me. And Emil, until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza Barca.